ladies, gentlemen, and everyone in between, I'm Orion Lavelle. And I'm Travis Mattingly. And I don't know why I've thrown on a Sonic impression. <laughs> Here we go. This is the episode today. Chili dogs. No, I don't know why I did that. I was like, I, 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 you, you put on radio voice. Yeah, I, I was like, I'm going to mess around with the resonance of my voice and see if I can make it a little bit better. And then I went full Sonic. But I didn't, I'm not going to go back and retake it. So yeah, this is what it. we got. There it is. Uh, so, so welcome to Tooth and Nail. We're going to talk about more demons. It's more demon time. We're almost done yeah well, the end is in sight we've only got what like four three more, four more demons yeah five five, five demons more. I'm yeah like, we're less close than i thought yeah but... well we'll look into it no rocks and shadow demons are pretty different so i'm yeah it'll be like five more demons it's all right we're getting there we're yeah, like halfway done once we're done we're going right into devils yeah and then it'll be like three months <laughs> of devils and then you know what's after that like 12 months of dragons. Yay! So, no, we're not gonna we're not gonna <laughs> do every single dragon. We're gonna separate them probably by like color and then maybe we'll just have like an episode about how dragons play and yeah. then we'll just do another episode about every other dragon and it's like this, but they do poison instead. Yeah. And I think that's how we'll do that. So, so rest assured, we'll move on to more monsters in the future. <laughs> There will be more things. There is more out there than just three types of monster. Mm-hmm. Dungeons and dragons and demons and devils and nothing else. When's when do we get into the dungeon stat blocks? God, that would be pretty cool it though. Like conceptually, nice. like a mimic that is also a dungeon. That would be pretty rad, actually. Once upon a time, before the whole critical role thing caught on, and we were in the dark ages where we had a there were there were no D and D podcasts except yeah. for like three or four. Uh, I used to listen to this one called Crit Juice which uh, you listen to briefly as well. Yeah. Uh, and there's an entire couple of episodes where they're inside a gigantic gelatinous cube. <laughs> and that's very cool. Is like a dungeon idea where you're just like, a, I don't know. It's such an easy idea. Like what if this but bigger, but damn, if it works. Yeah, for sure. Like I like, would do an entire like mimic dungeon, like inside of a giant mimic. That'd be pretty good, right? The inside of a monster dungeon is always, like, yeah, a cool idea. Yeah, and it's, yeah, it is always a good, cool idea. It is probably the root of many of my childhood traumas. <laughs> well, like, maybe. Jabu Jabu's belly probably scarred me as a, as a <laughs> child and is why I, I'm afraid of some of the things that I'm afraid of, but, like... Yeah, but, like, one of them in your teen years gave us one of the best phrases of all time, said by... <laughs> said, are are <laughs> you referring to the giant worm from Gears of War 2? I referring to the giant worm from Gears of War 2. Ah, never change, John DiMaggio. <laughs> you're, all, you're a friend of the show. Johnny, if you want to talk about demons... <laughs> friend of the show, John DiMaggio. Friend of the show, John DiMaggio. <laughs> he doesn't know it. But he doesn't know <laughs> yet, but he's a big friend of us. <laughs> uh, and if, if you, Johnny, ever want to talk about demons or devils or dragons... <laughs> For those of the three monster types, feel free to come on and we'll have you for one of those three. <laughs> Just the fucking turnaround cameo of the century. We Could get you... him for the purple worm episode. <laughs> yes! Everybody, everybody who's listening, listen. Everybody, I know, I know, I know like only like 10 people listen to the show. I get it. But if one of those 10 people happen to know John DiMaggio... <laughs> It would be rad as hell if we could get him for the Purple Worm episode. Like, I I will start a change.org petition for that. So yeah, John DiMaggio, come on. In the meantime, let's talk about the Marilith, which is a, a snaky demon. It's like a good sword fighting demon. This is kind of a good, like, sword fight boss. Yeah, for uh, sure. In a way that we haven't really had, like, we had that a little bit with Death Knights. They were like a good Ganon, like, sword fight mage. I don't think we've had a good sword fight boss, but this is, if you were to make, like, a decent kind of sword fight and boss it, as a monster, this would be kind of the one. Yeah, it's important that it's a sword fight and boss who doesn't use magic. Yeah, Because yeah. most, like, higher level, like, oh, this is gonna be a cool, like, swordsman duel boss still has, like, some little bit of a, like, misty step or, like, yeah. some spells on them. This one just... It can teleport, but that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It can escape. Yeah. But that's not... And it's interesting. It almost becomes like... And, well, we'll get into it as we go on. But it almost feels like this is a... Like an like an action economy kind of thing. More than anything else. Like, it, it's not the... So I can imagine a version of, like, a sword fight boss that operates like a Battlemaster mm -hmm. fighter would. Where it's like, here are the options... These are the amount of, like, tactical things this sword fight and boss can do. And I'm sure there's some monster or creature or NPC stat block somewhere that does something like this. Um, but this one, it feels a lot more like 
listen, it's the end of the game. You're this is a CR sixteen fight. You have X amount of things you can do in a turn. How many of these things can you let through? Like how many? Like you have X amount of attacks that you can make if you're a monk or a fighter or a paladin. You can do X amount of things in a turn. This is a uh, almost like a boss that challenges your ability to like, or maybe not ability, but like your resourcefulness with the actions that you get. And we'll talk about why that is as we go on, I think. But until then, let's start talking about the look of the snake lady. Yeah, but snake lady, different than the snake lady you think. Yeah, not a medusum. <laughs> it's a not medusum. one of the medusums. Not a medusum. No. No, no, no. No, this is a Marilith. Get the, don't get it twisted. So let's go. So artistically, it is Snake Lady. Yeah. Look at this Snake Lady. It's a sexy Snake Lady. That's what we get. Like, I don't know. <laughs> you were expecting... What? Look, I just applaud them for not making the V deeper. Number yeah. one. Yeah. Putting it, her in armor. Number two. Yeah. <laughs> she got the booby armor. Well, sure, so, but... 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 What I mean to say is gross... What were we expecting? Yeah. Well, what I was expecting was it's a demon, so less. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess that is true. I'm sure, sure I didn't look back on previous drawings for this one, and I'm almost glad I did, because I bet you there are some... All right, hold for checking. Text 503 as to how booby you think the snake lady is in previous editions of this game. Is it profoundly booby? Fourth edition is just not wearing clothes. Oh my god. The only stopping nipples are swords. Oh my god. Let me pull it up. Second edition is like a Japanese, like an 18th century Japanese hentai drawing. Oh my god. Hold on now. Ready? I'm about to make the switch. I'm Googling it up right now. Everybody get, get your ears ready. Fourth edition. Yep. That's a booby lady. The weapons are blocking the knops. Third edition. Wow, that's like kind of interesting. Uh, kind of like, hold on, let me get a closer look at this. What's going on Completely here? Completely nude, Juhani-esque in the face. It's kind of <laughs> almost like lolly-y. That's kind of weird. Oh, as yeah. Now I'm getting, yeah, it sure is. And, and that might just be a scale because it's she's standing oh, next to a Baylor. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but it kind of has this weird like... It's wiry, a little more like thin yeah. and live. Yeah, the, the Baylor is kind of yeah, it's like spelt and like <laughs> muscly and virgin. And then we got this like tiny little Marilith next to it, which and that's also giving edition. me weird. And then second edition. Oh, whoa. <laughs> whoa. Yeah, you know what I mean? You know those Japanese drawings? Yeah, lady it's very ukiyo-e. It's very like, yeah, it's kind of, it's like the, the drawing quality is quite a lot better than other second edition drawings. Yeah. I guess they wanted to pull out all the stops and get the, the shine on this lady butt. And then the first edition got the boobies. Yeah. There you go. Just you gotta go. boobies. You gotta go all the way back to first edition <laughs> for the boobies. But there you go. And that kind of just looks like uh, um, like just an old folklore monster. But no, rest assured. So yes. It has been just like snake ladies with boobies and swords uh, for the entire time. Honestly, like the silhouette of the first edition one is pretty pretty close to the fifth edition one. It's kind <laughs> of interesting. Bit, yeah. So so I guess let's let's get into some more detail here. Yeah. It is it is a snake lady. Uh the bottom half is the snake bit, the top half is the lady bit. Kind of cool. Uh she kind of looks like a Mortal Kombat villain for sure. Yeah. And that is expressly because she has six arms kind of extended along her sides like a little spider. Uh and they're person arms, rest assured they are person arms. Um she has she has the boobies. She has the boobies part, parts and across history the boobies are, are are different across time and space in this one she just has like silver kind of mithril looking uh like swirly armor yeah uh and that you know kind of you know it makes it look outlandish and demony and whatnot um she i don't know she's got like a whole bunch of different swords there's kind of like a it's it feels like it's trafficking in the and i should probably kind of have a look into the the like folklore history it feels like there's kind of like a, a kind of vaguely Middle Eastern bent to the, 
the design uh, of the swords. Well, yeah, two of them look like Kopesh swords almost. Yeah. Uh, and the rest look like, I don't know if that's an actual sword design from history, but it looks like an orc sword to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. They don't, it doesn't look traditionally like Western, yeah. which is what it is. And I'm sure if I look back here, let me just hold for looking up for thing. <laughs> uh, While we're holding, let me say they made a coward's decision by giving six arms, but only two pectorals. That's right. Let's get some, <laughs> let's get another pair of boobies on this lady. Let's get, why not? Six boobies? Yeah. Let's do it. Fuck it. <laughs> Yeah, Hindu mythology, uh, where gods and demons frequently have multiple heads and arms, um, it doesn't list a direct source, so it's just kind of like what them Shivas do. I know, <laughs> that's not right, I know, I know. Shiva had multiple arms. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the fact that it's a demon is a little weird, yeah. but the fact that it has, like, it's a demon that's actually treated with some measure of respect, eh. Yeah. <laughs> I betcha it's there. So like previous designs, it's very clearly to be like sexy yeah. and there might be some degree of fetishization in there. Honestly, I don't know that much about Hindu mythology aside from like the tight five. I mean, they're so, all like, naked in all the drawings all the time. So like, <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. I'm going to just like I'm just going to take a ignorance pass. Yeah, I don't know how <laughs> I feel about this. I It's I not imagine, my place to say <laughs> it's not my place to say. I imagine it's. There are degrees of weird fetishization to it. Um, it definitely has like like jewelry and adornment that are supposed to bring about that kind of Hindu mythology feel to it, which is whatever. Uh, the fact that it's a demon is whatever. It doesn't really mention any degree of like that kind of like it doesn't really mention its reference yeah. in the lore so much. It just kind of, you know, and this is part and parcel for what demons are. It's just kind of a angry demon uh and then that's that's just kind of what we get so i don't know uh it's got it's a little snake lady it's a lot of sword she's green uh she's got really pretty hair i don't know she's got she got the bangles which is hard to say whether or not that's that's just a demon thing or uh we're going <laughs> well, for hindu mythology kind of thing point, it's just strictly a demon thing like, is, is that do you think we just there's so it's like they put it on almost every demon every yeah. demon of some worth <laughs> yeah like every demon of a, like above a cr5 has bangles is yeah. what it seems like yeah yeah and then we get we have some b-side drawings as well that are just like close-ups of her face and then also her bangle arm holding her weird funky sword yeah uh and i think that is kind of uh yeah yeah i think it makes me feel weird because i think they're going for a specific like otherness ethereality thing from a culture that just is a real-ass culture on planet Earth. Uh, and I don't... Well, I don't know. But then also we have the Minotaur, which is just, like, Greek mythology. I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't feel like a, a grotesque use of it to me. It just yeah. feels like a use of it like every other mythology that we steal ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're right. But I'm keeping an eye on you, booby lady. <laughs> if I see one more nipple, I'm, I'm calling the feds. <laughs> That's what we got. It doesn't like, you know, it's it's snake like it's like live. I don't know. I feel like with better monsters, there's like a theme that we can talk about uh, with this one. It's just like a live snake. Lady. It's got a snake for a bottom and the top half looks like someone with six arms that really likes to fight with swords. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what it is. Sometimes a pipe is just a pipe. Yeah. Uh, said Freud when he was explicitly denying his own penis envy. I, don't I know. feel like this. I feel like there should have been some reference to the Yuanti somewhere with her, like yeah, because we got well, we got the thing that's like, oh, this is like a Minotaur thing, and then we've mm, got like like a Minotaur progenitor. Yeah, yeah. It just because like Yuanti are like the yeah the, the reverse yeah the, like waist up snake. Yeah, they got the snake <laughs> half on the bottom, whereas Yuanti have the snake half on top. Or full bloods, which don't have any snake half, but they can turn into snakes. It's Whatever, weird. Right. You want to hear weird. No, there. Yeah, there isn't a whole lot to say. It's stylized, um, which isn't my super favorite. I feel like there could have been more, uh, kind of like snake musculature in the bottom half. I feel like it's she's kind of got this divot in it's her like, bottom half. It looks like uh, an armored tube. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't look like a snake. It looks like an armored tube. Yeah, you just squeezed out the tube from the lady. <laughs> And it, yeah, I, I would like to see some, I, and that's, show us the center part. I feel like I had this argument when we did centaurs, 
Show me the part where they connect, oh, cowards. Yeah, absolutely. I want to see where the snake bit turns into the lady bit. Well, would... then, but then we would have been like, oh, um, she's wearing a belly shirt. Yeah, and, we and then like... that's true. That's I don't want to see like I don't want to see any weird badge stuff. I just want to see like it's almost just like an, an anatomic study. I just want to see where the, how the snake muscles yeah switch into the human muscles because that is the b-side drawing i don't care about the face yeah what's going on there. yeah just like an x-ray of like <laughs> muscles and bones because that's started to become an axis by which i really appreciate these drawings is seeing musculature and definition and like vascular systems that should not exist and have them be applied to these kind of creatures is kind of cool detailing that i like quite a bit uh and so i just want to see the snake bit turn into the human bit because <laughs> I bet you that would be a cool, I bet you that would be a cool, fun anatomy study. So in terms of the lore that we do get, uh, and fuck it, I'll just read it out because it's the paragraph and that's how we're doing demons now. Yeah. Terrible to behold, a Marilith has the lower body of a great serpent and the upper torso of a humanoid female with six arms. Yep. Wielding a wicked blade in each of its six hands, a Marilith is a devastating foe that few can match in battle. We'll find that to be true as well. These demons possessed keen minds and a finely honed sense of tactics, and they are able to lead and unite other demons in common cause, which is kind of cool and interesting, and it, I mean, it, it, it has the telepathy thing, so like, that is, that is a, a way to that. And it, it does have high charisma as well, so there could be some measure of like, like the Merilith forming a, a rebellion or like some sort of squad, and then like a demon like... Demogorgon or Orcus, because those are the two <laughs> demon lords that I mention every time, because I can't remember any of the other ones. It's okay, Demogorgon is specifically somewhat involved with these ones, uh, through what I, little I saw in the Forgotten Realm bookie, so you're good. Yeah, the the point I'm trying to make is, like, uh, that could be an adventure hook, right, where we're getting to the late game, it might be cool if, like, oh, through your, your weird warlock friend, uh, one of the demon lords tries to get in contact with the party, and they're like, listen, this Marilith is forming a band that could threaten my very survival i'll give you so much uh abyss funds i'll give you Soul a, so no, many no, wait, that's the no wait, that's hells I think. that's a thing now is well, that hells or the abyss that's that's the abyss i don't know i haven't read Avernus yet remember. so so whatever you get you get abyss bucks which are the <laughs> the demon version of soul coins uh and you get some abyss bucks if you if you kill the marilith and her her demon horde that could be an interesting adventure hook Furthermore, we learn that Marilis are often encountered as captains at the head of a demonic horde where they embrace any opportunity to rush headlong into battle. Which, like, rush headlong into battle is... doesn't... I don't know. Again, I'm nitpicking because we only get the two one and a half paragraphs. Um, it kind of... it's this weird kind of lore reconciliation between having a, a creature that is just, like, pure chaotic and likes to do bloodlust and then having like a commander creature, right? So we've seen this a couple of times with Baylors and uh, Glabertus, and now we have Marilis, which are like, you know, it's a demon, but also it can think and have tactics, but it has the bloodlust, but also it's very tactical, but also chaotic, but also, and I don't really know, like, like the, the detailing and the reconciliation is kind of strange, so do with that what you will. I think part of the, like, and, and honestly, that could almost be like, as far as, like, character studies go in D&D, that could be kind of a fun, like, oh, it's this creature that is trying to be tactical and can, like, can, like, think and plan, but also can be baited in into just, like, fucking up. Yeah, it's, I mean, like, the, the easiest way that I, like, reconcile those ideas in my head is just to be like, well, the, the Joker is, like, chaotic evil, but he's super smart and he can plan and has tactics yeah so, like, so it's like a philosophical thing yeah it's i think it's more like they are driven by nature to do what is the most chaotic and destructive thing but the path to be there does not need to be wild man you right know what I mean? right so, so they're like, long gaming the path of they're destruction. long gaming the path of destruction and plus like with the rushing headlong into battle it's like everybody with me you go that way you go that way i'm gonna go stab a bunch of things like it doesn't necessarily yeah, have so to be like, like you guys go do this thing while i go fuck shit up yeah and it's it i think it doesn't necessarily contradict itself it's just it would be like the <laughs> the only demon we've had that i think contradicts itself is the one that like doesn't try to fight all the time the one that tries to like mentally manipulate people the glabertsu i think i think i think about. so i that one struck me weird because it yeah. had more of like a devil lore but yeah i think this one yeah 
yeah. fits in. Get us a tactical one. And then we can get a whole bunch of cool stuff where, like, if I, the, again, like, I'm real interested in the kind of, like, not necessarily, like, the politics of the Abyss, but, like, the power struggle yeah. of the Abyss. I kind of like, like, I do like the idea of, like, oh, this is the Horde ruled by the Baylor. And they just like direct shit and like get in and attack real hard and fast. And then this is the one that is ruled by the Merilith. And I'd they like, like to, to see, like, you know, yeah. outmaneuver shit and flank stuff. And then, you know, and that would be kind of a fun like faction game you could play as part of a larger adventure path. I'd like to see the Shadow of War-esque troop tree up yeah. to the commanders and stuff of just like where, who has what strengths and weaknesses and commands who. Yeah, and I think that's what they're like fainting at with the the lore that we get in this book. There's kind of like a a militant bend to the the demon horde, and I think that's what they're trying to get at. Is you know here's your here's your way to make your your shadow of war, your uh, shadow of Mordor, kind of yeah, like interplay in between armies and, and kind of faction game and whatnot, power struggle stuff. Yeah. So yeah, there's well, I guess that's not technically lore. I was gonna say we've got another paragraph, but it's not really lore. It's like a uh an anecdote so we get like a little excerpt thing above the b-side picture that talks about a group of adventurers that went into the temple of elemental evil and came across a marilith and uh they found like you know the temple was strewn with body parts and we ran for our lives and if you know similarly like how we were talking about with kazmi's once upon a time where uh and a couple of other demons where you if the there you know there are like two stages to to demon portrayal where it's on the macro abyss power play kind of side and then the you're just kind of dealing with this singular strange demon that is broken into the material plane or whatever right uh so like demon each individual demon and then demons within the wider context of the world uh and this is kind of the the designation of that split where you can make a demon seem really terrifying and otherworldly uh just by putting it in this one scary place and trusting it up with a bunch of corpses and yeah, stuff like flexing its might on some just random level one civilians yeah. or soldiers yeah yeah the the thing of it is is that with the kazmi it felt like 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 gross the kazmi right? so felt like the, the kazmi felt like a horror yeah this would feel mm, like mythology on what level you were at it would feel either like horror or like running into a mythological beast, like running into a minotaur in a maze. Like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think that's so like when when we talked about uh, Garistros and how they can be like fun and I just kind of have a soft spot for minotaurs. So maybe that's just my personal bias. But I feel like there was like enough with the uh, enough to like to get a narrative out of right how they're, you know, their their brains operate differently than other demons and whatnot. And you can kind of play along with that. With the Kazmi, it was a gross bug, and so you could play the like the the gross supernatural, like, oh, I went into a barn and everybody was torn up and there was a big gross bug. With the Merilith, since it's just like a sexy snake lady with swords, I feel like there's less like horror there. Yes, there's for sure. Less, there's there, almost no horror there, yeah. Yeah, there's almost so like it feels very familiar. It feels like a mythological ass monster, because that's what it is. Mm -hmm. And then also we don't get enough about like what makes it thematically interesting right so like a minotaur is interesting as a monster and then is also conceptually interesting as this creature that like its brain is formatted in order to like comprehend the uncomprehendable right so like right. it is this alien thing that can live inside labyrinths and just like exist and its brain doesn't operate similarly to others with the Merilith, we don't get enough about what it is like conceptually or we don't get enough like flavor traits to make it interesting in the in the mythological regard and also since it's just a sexy snake lady it's not interesting in the horror regard so like what are we doing here like it kind of feels a little too middle of the road and on it like it kind of turns it feels a little bit forgettable sure. right it, it doesn't i mean like it feels like a monster not a demon yeah you know what i mean yeah yeah it kind of feels like functionary and not like a character of itself sure because right. i can like 200 percent think of a thing to do with a marilith based on what it looks like and the small amount of like it's the captain it likes to be the captains of armies it likes to rush into battle it thinks it's the strongest thing on the planet like i can make a thing out of that but i can't make a horrifying demon thing out of that yeah what i mean to say is is like yeah you can make a thing of that 
you can make a thing of that. You can make a thing about an angry snake captain. But, like, there's nothing special to it, right? Yeah, so, like, I can also yeah. make an angry demon captain out of a Baylor as well. Oh, for sure. And uh, the, I, the whole, her whole thing is swords. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would just, I don't know, I feel like I would like to have seen a bit more detailing to make the Merilith more special. Yeah, I get you. Something you said earlier, I wish they did. I wish they gave her some Battlemaster tactics. Yeah. Some things to do to show that she is the yeah leader of an army like she can do stuff like yeah she gets yeah i would like to yeah carry. <laughs> yeah i would like to see in the lore um in the lore specifically i'd like to see some more of that like extrapolation between this this creature that can think tactically but also has like this terrible bloodlust uh and i think that would be the the fun thematic way to take it both mechanically and uh in the lore as well um is she prideful yeah <laughs> That's something I would be interested in knowing. Like, what are they? What are they on? Like, a if they're smart enough to think individually, I want to know what like they generally like. What's their disposition? Yeah. Like, oh, I'm angry all the time. It's like so is every other goddamn other, thing yeah, in the yeah. abyss. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or like how they think and how like the what their, kind of tactics? Yeah, how they're like yeah, exactly. Like what kind of tactics? What can? What are they fond of doing that helps? reconcile the the like demon anger with the thinky brain but but yeah yeah so that is yeah if i were to take one of these marilith and had to do a adventure with a marilith that would be kind of what i would do it's kind of funny because the marilith <laughs> it feels like a, a player race more than a monster because like when you when you grab one I think you would just be more tempted to just turn it into an NPC, yeah, right? Yeah. Whereas, like, with all these other things, it's like, I wouldn't yeah. make a fully fleshed out Galabrazu NPC. Yeah. Probably ever. I'd give it, like, some lines of dialogue yeah. or something. You can have a Garistro, and it's just the it's Garistro. Just the Garistro. And it's like, fuck, the Garistro. But this, you have to make, like, Saisa, the Marilith. Yeah, I have personality and yeah. traits and... Like, it's, it's like this is a template for an NPC you have to make. Yeah, which, like, <laughs> kind of works in its own regard, right? If you have this creature that, you know, is tactical and can be outwitted, it's probably better to put personality on them because then you can, for those players who are interested in doing the Game of Thrones long game thing, you can, like, tactically outplay this creature that is kind of on your level but has fatal flaws. Uh, and some of those could be attached to this demon bloodlust and this demon sense of chaos. And some of them could just be attached to what this specific Marilith is as a character. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, this could be kind of a cool template for a villain if you were willing to go the full NPC thing. But, you know, as it's presented to us, I wish there was a bit more. There's also a little bit that might just be me, but when I picture, like, a field of battle of demons, I the Marilith is, like, both just weird enough and just not weird enough for me to be able to picture more than one on the field of battle. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, because when I'm picturing it, I'm, like, seeing a bunch of little shitty mains. We got the dretches over there. We I can see Baylors all over the place. It's like... Yeah. But I only... It's like the idea of just all these little snake ladies in the front of the battle just kind of running forward with these shitty little demons. I'm like, I don't know. I, like, can't see it. They're not weird and demony enough for me, I think, is the thing. Because, hmm. like, all the other demons are gross. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everything's gross and warlike yeah this is just kind of yeah a snake lady yeah i think they're meant to be particular and meant to be characters and i don't think they're meant to be like many of them like maybe they're like two two yeah, yeah maybe in a given horde and the one of them this commander commanders. and the other yeah or something yeah. like that uh yeah yeah i agree and that is corroborated by its cr right like you're probably not ever gonna be in a situation where you fight more than one of these at a time sure yeah that's that's what we got for lore uh let's let's talk about this stat block that we have here yeah uh, and we can start kind of dissecting what makes it cool mechanically and what we should throw on mechanically because i'm not super pleased with it.
So in terms of the stat block that we get, it is a CR 16 monster. It has an average AC of 18 and a little bit, I mean, like, you know, technically below average hit points of 189. And it's a little bit quick. It's got a speed of 40. In terms of its attributes, they are, we're back to OC do not steal land, baby, where everything is pretty uniformly high with most of them being 20s uh, and the <laughs> lowest one being a wisdom of 16. So nice. Yeah. Nice. There we go. Uh, and so, so, so consequently, you know, when we get into the saving throw stuff, in addition to it just having quite high stats for saving throws, uh, it also has bonuses as well, where it's got bonuses to strength and constitution, wisdom and charisma, which means, you know, it's pretty defensively strong. Uh, casters, again, are going to get shafted, as is so often the case, especially the debuffers, uh, demon stuff. Yep. Uh, it's got the resistances that you'd expect. It's got the cold fire and lightning damage resistances, and then also it has the physical damage resistances from non-magical weapons. It's got the poison immunity. It's got the poisoned immunity. And then here's where the things get interesting. <laughs> we're getting to that point in the game. I guess it's not all that interesting. Sorry. Uh, we're getting to that point of the game where monsters have true sight now, uh, just for reasons. And so this one has true sight for reasons out to 120 feet, I believe. Yeah, the Bay lore just had true sight out to 120 feet for reasons as well. Yeah. I imagine it's like, it almost feels like it's the logical conclusion to the magic resistance, right? Like they've become so resistant to magic that they can see through it. Yeah, which exactly. Is cool. It's like both that and probably the the one thing they could think to do to stop rogues above level 16 from just being invisible and coming up to their snake and yeah, assassinating and it. Killing the snake. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yeah, it makes a sense. Did I ever talk about my theory for why demons are uh magic resistant i'm sure i've mentioned it at some point maybe but i can't remember i always like the idea of it being like a string theory kind of thing where like the the weave being this source of magic uh and that demons are just like so anathema to any like set of order that they are they're just like opposite and opposed to this this weave which is like harmony <laughs> that does you might have said it before but it's the first i remember of it so I do like that theory. Yeah. I don't know. I'm probably going to edit that out because it seems masturbatory that I brought it up. It's our show. Yeah, what the I fuck? Guess. I don't know. I'll fucking jerk off my own microphone. <laughs> <laughs> In addition to that true sight, it has a pretty fine passive perception of 13. Uh, it speaks abyssal. It has the telepathy out to 120 feet, making it commander capable. It can think commands and can also <laughs> speak commands. <laughs> God, I just want demons to be over. I know, I know, alright? We've got five more and then we'll be done and then I don't have to stop thinking of things to say about the fucking telepathy. <laughs> we don't- Look, we need to start practicing for dragons where we don't say anything about it. I swear to God, like, after this, once we get done with devils and I'm just sick of doing the same two kinds of monsters, we'll do, like, three episodes of dragons. The I'm interesting dragons, dragons, and then, like, what makes each individual dragon special and that'll be it. I cannot, like, and the, each of them will be, like, an hour and a half, and yeah. then that'll be it. Yeah, like, I'm fine, I, I'll find doing an individual episode for, like, Shadow Dragons and Turtle Dragons. Sure, yeah. But I just want to do, like, this is Young Dragons, this is Old Dragons, this is Ancient Dragons, and then these are, like, what happens when you get into the weird shit, and then, like, maybe we'll talk, we'll do, like, one episode that is all the different colors. So in terms of the traits that we get, it has the magic resistance, it has advantage on saving throws against spells and other magical effects like most of the demons we've seen. Uh, this, you know, will throw a wrench into most of the caster stuff. Do with that what you will. Um, I can't imagine, you know, we keep talking about this. I can't, like, now that I'm thinking about it, I can't imagine doing a, like, a long-form abyss arc. Yeah, you could not be... Uh, caster <laughs> it would kind of suck right like you you would have to be the kind of caster that doesn't rely on saving throws yeah it would it would be you'd have to yeah you, a you'd have to be like a blast caster b it would just like be kind of a slog to do an entire like five sessions in the abyss and every single fight our casters are useless and most of us are casters like the, i guess like the 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 crux of that is that you have to know going in that that's what it is, and you have to roll not a lot of casters. Yeah, but no, 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 but you, okay, yeah. So that is a wrinkle to that. Sure. Also, I can very easily imagine a DM who's like, okay, this is my group that I've had for X ah. amount of months. 
I'm feeling like doing demons and then just like not yeah like not recognizing because like why would you think that far ahead right like oh demons are cool I want to do demon stuff and then you know two sessions in you realize oh fuck I just screwed over half my party (laughs) for the unforeseeable future so like to to you DMs out there listen to our show man we could we could (laughs) have warned you for that you would have known you would have known I don't know if you're in that if you happen to be in in that situation I don't like like aside from just changing the demon yeah, shit. Nerf like, is pretty much yeah. it. If you've backed yourself into a corner, you have to dig the corner out. Yeah, <laughs> and obviously, me. like I mean, like you could also like you could give your spellcaster spells that are separate. Like you know, if you give your your wizard something a spell that does a lot of force damage, it's not that big of a deal, right? Like if you happen to you know if you want to course correct and you're like here wizard here's the the spell page for Eldritch Blast, which, like, I know is not usually a spell page, but here you go. Or, like, here's Magic Missile or something like that. Here's a cursed demonic wand that takes away magic resistance from the things you cast it on. Or something like that. But, it, you know, there's you can homebrew your own shit, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I guess the point I'm trying to make is, is that you can, you can do this in a couple of ways. You can nerf the demons. You can circumvent the shitty magic stuff by giving your casters different tools that maybe aren't their traditional spells. Or, like... You can just like not do anything. <laughs> like if the yeah. if it's if it doesn't seem to be bothering them and they're kind of enjoying like the tactical interplay. Like I think it is kind of cool every now and again to have a fight where magic is useless. Uh but you know, keep an keep an eye out, which has been a pretty common refrain for the season of demons is if the casters are frustrated, do your best to give them tools to circumvent the defenses, you know. It is kind of funny because like when you when <laughs> it in retrospect, it is easy to just fall into because on surface level, you're like, I just want to do demon stuff. But demons are ones, they're probably the type of monster you have to do the most thinking of. Yeah. Like the most thinking about. Which is interesting because <laughs> you wouldn't think so, right? No, like, not at all. <laughs> like if you want to do a devil campaign, you have to think about like political motivations and like sides and intrigue and shit. With demons, you get the sense like, oh, it's just a big angry monster horde. But you do kind of have to like, I mean, like you kind of have to consider what it is these guys are mechanically and then also like there are degrees of like commanding and political faction stuff as well that you can consider as well yeah it's it's interesting i definitely have come away with this with a greater i don't know not (laughs) appreciation for demon maybe not appreciation but like (laughs) i understand like what a demon can mean now for an encounter which is understanding of demons yeah a greater understanding of demons. which is kind of a trite thing to say like (laughs) oh i've talked about demons for two months now i know more about (laughs) them i know them but like it is true and like i've kind of it's kind of been interesting to see my or to to rethink of demons in a new way uh based on now knowing what they are kind of as a as a whole right but yeah uh, they get magic weapons, their weapon attacks are magical, and their swords is magic. They also have an interesting trait called reactive. Yay! And this is the thing that makes the Merilith interesting as a fight goes, where the Merilith, it can take one reaction on every turn in a combat. Huh. Which is different. Different. It, it's interesting. Because a lot of, I know that, and this would be confusing to a lot of players or new DMs that read it, mm-hmm. because people forget that turns and rounds are different. Yes. <laughs> Yes. So so that means that it can take a reaction every single time somebody else has a new turn. Yeah. It's like Bob is done, the next turn comes and now it's Marilith, Steve and the Marilith gets a reaction gets refreshed. Yeah. Yeah, which is interesting. It's kind of a cool break. Like I can imagine when you get to see our sixteen demons, I can imagine like the the urge to make them legendary monsters and giving them legendary lair shit and all of the legendary actions and all of that stuff that, that entails. I kinda like this reactive trait as a way to make a creature legendary and mess with the action economy without without, without doing do... the whole kit and caboodle yeah it's kind of cool it's kind of neat we'll think about this a bit more in terms of its action actions uh the the Merilith, what got six arms can make seven <laughs> attacks it seven. sure can jim seven it's got seven whole attacks there <laughs> whoa seven whole attacks that's going to be a sour Christmas. You might be counting see, six arms, six swords. Where's that seventh attack come from? I don't know where that comes from, Jim. It's the butt. Whoa. The tail. The butt part of the lady is a weapon? <laughs> well, yes, because the butt part is a tail. Ah, 
So yes, the Merilith it makes seven attacks, six with its swords and one with its tail. Uh, the longsword attack it is an average plus nine to hit in terms of accuracy. Uh, and it does 13 2d8 plus four slashing damage. And it can do that six times in a turn. Six times in a turn, which gives it... Honestly, like, it's not all that big of a deal. The The damage pads out, and it ends up being a little bit below average, even with this next attack that it has. It's not the hugest deal. Uh, kind of cool, right? Like It's, it's kinda... super cool because nothing else does it. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> this could be the first monster that does this kind of thing, right? Because this is, like, the, the entry point into endgame shit, where yeah. everything is taking a lot of attacks, right? This could be the first monster where she attacks, and she attacks, and she attacks and she attacks, and she attacks, and your players are just like, why? <laughs> and that, that could be kind of fun. And then since it, then since the Merilith is reactive, they're not expecting, like, opportunity attacks as well, so they're like, fuck, we gotta get out of here, and then she, and then, oh, she attacks, she attacks, she attacks. <laughs> oh, okay. That could be kind of a fun, and that is kind of what I was hinting at when I mentioned this is, like, the swordsman kind of character, where, like, it's just like a flurry of swords all the time. And that's Constant kind of, whirlwind. It's kind of fun. Like, I kind of like sword the fight of this, like, six-arm thing that is just constantly waving <laughs> swords around. Just the moving dervish. Yeah, just, just like a big Tasmanian <laughs> devil of sword. I kind of think that's kind of fun and cute in its own way. <laughs> and then it gets a tail attack. Uh, also has a plus nine to hit, average accuracy. It's got a ten-foot reach. It can hit a little bit farther out because the tail is long. <laughs> I was thinking about that. The art makes the tail look like it's like 25 or 30 feet long. Yeah, well, this is and this is a large monster as well. So like that, that's some that's some reach they got coiled up, I guess. Yeah, because like I imagine if you stretch this baby out like, yeah, I can imagine like a (laughs) 20, 25 foot long snake lady. Just the big ass thick tail just coming across the battlefield at you. Scary. Yeah, well, it's it's it is kind of scary because uh, so it does 15, 2d10 plus 4 bludgeoning damage, whatever. The big important thing is that this is an auto-grapple attack. If the target is medium or smaller, it is automatically grappled with a pretty significant escape DC of 19, uh, which is, you know, as it is, it is even like, so it is technically above average, but also is probably like unpassable by many of the weaker party members, uh, which, you know, may or may not ever encounter this kind of thing. But it, I, I guess what I mean to say is, is that this could reliably keep things grappled for some time. And until the grapple ends, the target is restrained. The Merilith can automatically hit the target with its tail. Furthermore, the Merilith will have advantage because of its grapple to just sword, to just like sword yeah. the shit out of this thing <laughs> six times over. So making 12 d20 rolls in, in one round, followed by an automatically hitting tail roll. Yeah. Like, yeah. So like, like that is that is quite a bit. Quite a bit of of stuff. Um, God forbid the wizard. Just yeah. I mean, like obviously, like God forbid the wizard. Won't somebody please think yeah, of the wizard? Exactly. We always make this thing. Yeah. Wizard. Wizard's a big boy at level sixteen. Yeah. They they can take care of themselves. Shield. Whatever. Yeah. Shield. Whatever. Or just teleport <laughs> out because I'm sure they can do that. Anyway, so once the Merilith has somebody tailed up, they can't make another tail attack against another target. But this is the the thing, right? So like the the long swords. The swords are often going to hit the total damage budget is not very high it's one standard deviation below average but since the merilith is guaranteed to hit at least most of the time on whoever you know is around it makes up the difference a little bit the final action that the merilith gets is teleport where they can magically teleport along with any equipment it is wearing or carrying up to 120 feet 120 foot teleport to an unoccupied space that it can see so similarly to the balor this can be kind of like a surprise attack in it, like a sucker punch of sorts, where like the Merilith can either either A, just like sneak into the party and start combat that way, or B, get around to the nice squishy casters or the nice squishy rangers or whatever and uh, slurp them up real good. And in a way, this kind of becomes the, uh, like we mentioned with the Baylor, the like into the breach style reaction kind of combat, right. reactive combat, not reaction in the... Mechanical, mechanical sense, sense but like yeah. reactive combat that D so often is where you know the the merilith spends this turn to teleport right up next to the caster the nice squishy caster with other beautiful organs all on display <laughs> and then the rest of the team is like oh fuck we need to get the caster away from the merilith or the merilith away from the caster somebody do something uh and then that is that is what that is i just, just that made me think of like when we were like what tactics does it employ it's like what 
person is the most sortable. That is kind of <laughs> it. Thing. Like that is kind of the tactic, and that is kind of the context for the the bloodlust of the Marilith, right? The the any opportunity to rush headlong into battle. This is the this is where the Marilith tactic brain is at play, where it's just like, what can I wreck? Where can I teleport where I can sword the most vulnerable thing? And it's kind of interesting too, because in some degrees it it is kind of counting on either the wizard to do some sort of magic thing to save themselves or the rest of the party to fix something because if the ranger runs away they're still going to get tagged by a sword like because of the reactive thing this is kind of a creature that is difficult to escape from not only because of the the opportunity attacks but also because of the grapple and it kind of puts the impetus on the players to use their fancy new spells to like move the marilith around and i wonder like if there's a cool encounter way to like like I can imagine, like spike pits and all sorts of things that, like the you could reward the players for putting the Marilith into. I'm just wondering if there are good ways to condition or convey the idea of moving the creature itself and not moving yourself too much, because like the the stick is already in there with the opportunity attacks and the grapple. Yeah, it, it's hard because at this level, like there are so many things that almost every class can do to stop themselves from being hit with opportunity attacks. Mm -hmm. And like, there's so many things that they can do to escape from being grappled. Yeah. So like, yeah, I guess it is more, more of an open encounter that way. I'm kind of, I guess I just kind of got enamored of the idea of having a creature where the strategy is to move the creature I, and not I yourselves. I do love that idea for sure. Like the idea of having to like, it's just like, I can't think of a way to, encourage that with the way that combat is i was like the idea of like and this is completely tangential i kind of like the idea of like a like a ice cream like a giant sentient ice cream i don't know why i'm thinking of ice cream i don't cream. know you got bear, me, with, me, bear yeah, with me on this come with me on this journey hit me <laughs> i like the idea of a monster that becomes less powerful the more you move it <laughs> so like if it's like a like a ice cream or like a slime ball, like an ooze of some kind that instead of dividing or whatever, it just loses itself as it goes it along. It loses mass. And you can more or less just like kill it by degrees by just shoving it from place to place. Reverse snowballing. Yeah, reverse <laughs> snowballing it. I kind of like that as an idea. I don't know where to go with that. One of these days we'll, you know, we'll do like a, a cute little book report week where we bring our like homebrew monsters and talk about why we like them. That did just make me think of a horrifying combat encounter where you're all locked in one room with the monster and every square of the floor is like the spike spell. Yeah. The sp so like you have to manage movement between both yourself and the monster on how many spikes you move across. That's pretty good. Where like so like it benefits casters or things that have the ability to move creatures because moving them across does still hurt them. I and like so that you, you have to be sure you're only moving the right amount of squares that you don't just die. <laughs> yeah. Damn, that's good. I like that. I like that quite a bit. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Tangential, but... Tangential, but I'm going to leave it in because it's a good idea. So the very last thing, it gets a special reaction. It gets parry. Uh, and this is the other thing that makes reactive big and important is that the, the Marilith can do the parry thing, which we talked about with Death Knights and some other creatures, I think, across time and space. Uh, where the Marilith, it adds five to its AC against one melee attack that would hit it. And in order to do so, the Marilith must see the attacker and be wielding a melee weapon. So the rogues don't have to worry about this so much if they're hiding and attacking and all that nonsense. The fighters and the monks are pretty much just like kind of shortened in attack. And that is like kind of an interesting... So like what I'm noticing more and more in 5th edition and its design ethos is like how how can we contrive ways to keep the monster from dying immediately. Like, what are what are the most interesting ways we can contrive the fight to go on? Look, I will tell you right now that I guarantee that this parry ability came about because somebody was like, or they were like, look, we made this Marilith. And they were like, okay, well, the fighter can hit it this many times. It can do this. Uh, it has to see them so the rogue can get sneak attack. What do we do about the paladin that can hit twice and do two completely unresistible full damage at this point, I think fourth, almost fifth level smites. Yeah. Let's just make one of them miss. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. Like, it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what it is. It kind of feels like a legendary action of sorts, right? Where like every turn, the Marilith can just decide whether or not it wants to be hit by a big important thing. And then it gets back into like the nerd poker thing where you, <laughs> me, Orion, am sizing up you, Travis, the DM. <laughs> where like, I know you have a parry. I'm going to hit. 
and then I'm gonna like, and then I'm gonna do a <laughs> second level divine blast, and then you as the DM have to be like, I can't remember. Do you have another divine blast? Should I parry this one or not? And it kind of becomes like this interesting interplay, like psychologically between you as the player and you as the DM, which we talk about sometimes that I kind of like. It does say to an attack that would hit it, and divine smite. You do decide when it hits. Trying to decide yeah, if it, what the order of operations the order here of operation, is because it's like the magic of Magic the Gathering. What thing fizzles first? I'm trying to like. Yeah, well, what's the most exciting <laughs> thing, right? Like, I I love the idea I like of because paladins have no penalties to divine smite. I yeah. feel like this is one of the occasions where I would be like, I Are you can dismite? declare it after yeah. you decide if you're yeah. smiting. Are it. you divine smiting? <laughs> yes. Uh, maybe I'll parry it, and then you is the and then yeah, that's I think that's where the conflict comes. It's like the are you divine smiting? And then the paladin is like, yes, but at what level have I, you know, depending on what, you know, what I think you're about to do, is this the one that I can bait you to parry? And do I have a better divine smite? Or can I like bait you with a crappier, you know, second level divine smite so I can remeo with the, the higher level one on my next attack? Yeah. And then like the fighter can do a bunch of things like that with, uh, or like battle masters or, um, well, I guess there's less fun to be had for a lot of the fighters, but like monks, monks can decide like, uh, oh, I'm like going to hit you, strike. stunning strike, I'll parry, but maybe I can like hit you with some, with like flurry of blows. And then like, it becomes this kind of interplay between do I want to parry this now or do I want to save it for the big thing and parry the big thing? And there's, I don't know, there's just some kind of like fun nerd poker there that you can, that you can do that I, I like quite a bit. It seems like the only caster unaffected by literally anything in this game is paladins. Right. Paladins just have no downsides whatsoever. Yeah. And well, every creature seems to be balanced against how it fares against a paladin. Yeah. So yeah, in addition to that, there's also this sense of like two for for fighters who at this point probably have like three, three, four attacks. Seventeenth level, I think you get your four. All right. So three attacks. You kind of have to balance your your action economy where you have your multi attack. Um, alternatively, like if the Marilith has come up against the the wizard and you are ostensibly the only person in the room that can shove her away, <laughs> you know, you can choose, you know, you can forsake some actions to, to shove her. You can, you know, lose out on some damage. Some, I, I, yeah. So, so like to some extent, like it's, it's at its coolest with like paladins and monks. When it comes to fighters, where it's just like, oh, you're just getting rid of one of my attacks. Yeah, it's a little mean. It's a little, it's just <laughs> like not very interesting. It's a little uh, mean, and then it's mean that, like, they can still do it the next turn to someone else. Because yeah. then you're like, as a fighter, you feel like it took nothing for the DM to decide to do it to you. Yeah. And then it's just like, oh, man. Yeah, <laughs> and that's kind of just, like, a problem with fighters. I guess you get to action surge, right? So, like, <laughs> so you get you're, six you're, still, too. you're still, yeah, you still get to make, like, a bajillion <laughs> attacks. Uh, it does, the, the thing does six attacks to you, and you're like, oh, yeah, and uh -huh. you do six attacks to it. Yeah, and then it becomes just kind of like a struggle of like Hulk against Hulk, and that's kind of fun yeah. in its own right. Uh, but I do, and that's why I kind of phrased it as like, how do we contrive ways to make the to keep the demon from dying immediately? Because sometimes it feels cool and interesting, and sometimes in this case, sometimes it it feels interesting, and sometimes it just feels like dumb way to pad out health. Uh, but but yeah, there there is some some fun and some joy to be had there and i think you know since it can teleport you can get a lot of mileage with like poison traps and spike pits and all of the things that we have mentioned with like balors and uh, to some extent flying creatures do you have an encounter do i have an encounter that is kind of my like notion is like i imagine you know this kind of has the flavor of like a boss or at least like a head lieutenant encounter uh kind of a session cap and fight and i i i think that the merilith by and large should be fought by itself so that mm -hmm. you can i mean like you can throw in ads and whatnot if you want to take if you want to distract from the marilith teleporting over to the ranger because i think that is like the core fun of this fight is the marilith teleports over to something that can't take six sword attacks and then you have an entire turn of parries <laughs> and like opportunity attacks and shove it in whatever to keep the marilith from wreaking havoc on this wizard or ranger or rogue or whatever yeah and so like anything that can facilitate that that kind of dramatic tension is something that I would be there for. So if you want to throw in like dretches or whatever, some mains or whatever to keep attention away from the players being able to immediately move the Marilith away, or if you want to like 
throw in like a warlock that can counterspell a wizard and keep the, <laughs> the wizard like stuck there. That would be kind of kind of cool and fun. Like that'd be so shitty. It's just like <laughs> your wizard's like, well, I can't cast any spells on it, but I can cast them on myself and then counterspell. counterspell. <laughs> okay, you piece of shit. <laughs> but right. then, like you know, they probably have had like at least a turn to to focus yeah. fire on the the warlock or whatever, right? Like, I I think that would be kind of fun. Like, especially like. <laughs> If you have a what it starts, and like it's like the three squishy characters, and then like two big buff tanks or whatever, or like two squishy characters, three big buff tanks. You've got the Marilyn and this warlock. The fight starts. The warlock just banishes the strong guys. That would be quite fun. And it's just like three squishy people against one six-armed lady. Like oh, well, that kind of structures it similarly to like banshee fights and um like poker yeah. fights where you have this creature that immediately can take out one of your one or x amount of your party members and it's your job from the the word go to rush in and kill the warlock right kill the caster fix the problem yeah fix the problem so you can <laughs> take care of things uh so yeah that would be kind of a cool encounter design it's you know Without getting into the what is every single possible combination of monsters in this book. Oh yeah, no, for sure. I wouldn't, none of that. I, I was curious if there was anything, like, because before you said, like, what we would change about it. Like, what would you change about the stat block to make it more interesting to you? Yeah, like, so what I would change is I would throw in some more Battlemaster stuff. Yeah. Um, I do like the idea of, you know, keeping it close to just like, a, oh, fuck, the Marilith is just going to unload on our squishy person. What can we do to stop it? But in terms of, like, making it feel more like a sword fight kind of boss, which yeah, is... Yeah, like, riposte would yeah, be like a cool one for it to have, cool. or, like, anything that provo- that causes movement would be interesting. Yeah, I would like uh, more reactions for that end. So, like, the Marilith gets to decide, oh, I have my one reaction every turn. Do I want to take this turn to parry? Do I want to take this turn to, like, you know, disarm or, uh, like, you know, take a like a a dash or whatever like a disengage or something right like that would be more interesting to me and then it could be at least more interesting for the fighter right where it becomes more like a oh you you have trained in the sword styles (laughs) let me see if i can outmaneuver you yeah and it's it's less just like i do all of my attacks against all of your attacks i wouldn't do that and I, i definitely wouldn't make it so the battle master maneuvers were parts of the attack actions like they are for actual battle masters because there are so many attacks yeah because then you're just like yeah dunking even harder on everyone yeah i do like the idea of battle master maneuvers being put as reactions yeah i think that's really neat which more or less makes it like a, a legendary monster yeah effectively it's just like different it's yeah just like not it's not because like that it, it's it's different and cooler in a way just because the legendary actions aren't just like it flies 30 feet away or it gets in the air and knocks you prone yeah like just some some more cool like sword fighty stuff i think would be kind of fun Uh, and then anything else you can do to make the teleportation into the breach style reactive like oh fuck we gotta save the caster thing that would be whatever that that kind of stuff whether that be like a warlock that can counterspell or like the traps to corner the mage or whatever the only way i can see that kind of working is fundamentally different from how fifth edition works where it would just be like it spends its turn indicating where it will teleport like marking Mm. the spot with like a sigil yeah and then the next turn it can teleport there and then attack well that's that's what you do as dm right that is your and that is the big important thing that you do as a dm and why it's so important to a understand the monsters and b understand what makes good dnd combat is you become the animator right you are the thing that telegraphs in the same way that like a Dark Souls boss is telegraphed, you are the thing that telegraphs these bosses. And so you get to be like, she makes six sword attacks and then looks over like, you know, and you can even be right. like, make an inside check. Oh, the Marilith is eyeing the caster and you know they can teleport. Right, right. You know, yeah. That's true and fair. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. So in conclusion, um, it's a monster. It's kind of fun. Like there's some, there's some joy to it. I like the parry. I like the reactive. I like the... I think the teleport is cool. Um, the lore is whatever. The art is whatever. It's whatever. <laughs> the rest of it is, you know, demon problems. Yeah, I mean, like, if if I did end up using this monster, I might, like, forego even the notion that it was a demon in terms of, like... You just want to make a cool sword fight. Yeah, like a cool sword fight. Like, yeah. it would just be, like... I, I would probably reference the fact that it was a demon in its appearance, like, mm-hmm. 
it comes out of a portal or whatever the hell I mm. wanted. Like, sure. but I do like just the idea of this big monstrous sword fighter. Yeah, because most of the time, big monstrous sword fighters are like dudes with big swords yeah. or beasts with big swords. I like the idea of the yeah prideful whirling dervish. Yeah, <laughs> what the fuck's a dervish? I don't know. What, right? What the fuck? <laughs> is it, it does it? Is it just like a fucking? What the fuck is a? I don't know why that's the word. Oh, it's just like a spinny top person. Huh. It's like a dress, like a dress, like a. It's, not... it's Yeah, it's funny because like the very first people also ask the most popular question is, "What is a whirling dervish and why is, why it, is called it called that?" that? <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this snaky episode of Tooth and Nail. If you enjoyed this snaky episode of Tooth and Nail, feel free to leave a snaky review <laughs> on on a snaky Spotify or snaky iTunes or a snaky snaky hosting uh, site. Snake, 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 snake. Good luck will come to you if you reply snake <laughs> onto this podcast. In the meantime, if you're sick of our weird antics, uh, feel free to look at other stuff at nerdsmith.org. Uh, they're they're less weird than us, and I. I understand, and I'm sorry, and I'll be better in the near in the near future. I won't. In the meantime, what's our creature comfort for today? <sighs> Get a massage. <laughs> get a, oh shit! A six arm massage. Six arm massage. Yeah. Oh damn. Go get go get your six arm masseuse, and uh, followed by a nice squeeze, or just mm-hmm. like just like three masseuses and <laughs> slap them together like the human centipede. No, do no, not don't humans, do that. Don't oh, human don't, centipede a person. Don't do that. Or several people. But don't. give them all $20 and say, pretend you're all one person yeah, with six arms. Yeah, <laughs> pretend to be the human centipede and give me a massage. <laughs> God. <laughs> uh, the words that come out of your mouth. Uh, <laughs> goodbye.